Hey, everybody. Welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm Brandon David. Really great show today. We have Roy of Ginger, which is a new D2C platform that brands can use to bypass retail and deliver straight to their customers. Fascinating new idea coming out of California, um, really competing with the idea of what it's been before, which is you have to go to the dispensary or you have to have a delivery service. Uh, Roy is also the founder of Click Spray, which is a mouth spray, breath spray infused with cannabis. Really cool product there. He's also one of the founders of Ease. Then he did Wave, the B2B distribution software. So he's got some great experience, some great advice. Uh, You're going to love it, guys. I learned a ton. You're going to learn a ton. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Hey, if you listen to the show all the time and you like it, you get something out of it, do me a favor, just write us a review. It really, really helps. It's super easy to do. Throw in something that you learned this week. Uh, that would be really great. Thanks for doing that, guys. Thanks. Thanks for coming to join me in, in our outside Marina Del Rey makeshift studio here. How are you, man? Absolutely. Welcome. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Good stuff. Uh, well, I'm excited to have this conversation. You've been in the industry for a long time, seen it from a bunch of different angles, but let's start an easy one. Just what is Ginger? So Ginger is a direct-to-consumer platform. It's uh, one part technology and one part logistics, which is where we think uh, we really separate ourselves from sort of the, the classic operators in the industry. Um, we looked uh, far and wide in terms of what we thought brands needed in order to succeed. And uh, we decided that there was room for another channel to give brands the opportunity to have control over their business, some uh, predictability in terms of uh, customer engagement, customer growth, etc. And my personal experience, myself and my partners, has led us to believe that when you start to untether technology from logistics in California, uh, cannabis, that's usually when things fall apart. So what we did was we spent the last year, year and a half building great technology and over time also building up the logistics to be able to sort of offer a one-stop shop solution. So we're both e-commerce as well as last mile delivery. Got it. You said a lot of things there. I want to unpack. Yeah. Take people through the landscape a little bit, right? Like there's traditional delivery, which you have a background, and we'll talk about that too. And ease. Yep. But then there's this D2C idea, right? Kind of tell us about the difference there. So I think the key difference is that most um, retailers, let's call them that, so even a delivery service is u- utilizing sort of a non-storefront delivery license. So most retailers, whether it's in a physical environment or in a delivery, they, uh, they operate under sort of a marketplace methodology, meaning they acquire a customer, they have store shelves, whether it's physical store shelves or digital store shelves, and then they sell a wide variety of products uh, for their customer. So the key difference between retail, delivery services, and DTC, in our eyes, is that um, in our perspective, the, the, actual, the brand actually owns the customer. So rather than sort of be uh, a facilitator providing your, your products uh, in wholesale so that the retailer can make a margin, acquire customers, and, and uh, be profitable, we essentially take on the inventory and allow the brands to be able to sort of market directly to their customer and own that customer relationship. So this is really novel in the cannabis industry, right? If you sell into a retailer, brick and mortar, you generally have no visibility into where that goes. And uh, similarly, a lot of these delivery services also offer, uh, basically they're acquiring the customer and then it becomes their customer. 
right. it's not your customer, Correct. right? So if you put your brand hat on here, right, and there's all these different channels, I just make great pre-rolls. I don't really know about distribution and sales and all. Now I can sell directly to the dispensaries. I can sell to a delivery, specific delivery, or this D2C idea. What are kind of the pros and cons of that? Why, why would I do that as a brand? So, um, you know, I think that uh, it's, there's pros and cons, and, and it's also not an either or. Uh, if I were a brand, I would, uh, at the right time, try out all of these channels, because you may be successful with all of them. But they, they all have um, their own challenges and their own sort of uh, uh, unit economics. And, and if you're a brand, that's what you should think through. So let's start with retail. Um, it is very expensive to penetrate and maintain retail. If you think about it, as a brand, let's say you have a pre-roll brand, um, you first of all, once you make the product, you have to pay a distributor, a distribution fee to get you into doors. Mm -hmm. You may either be relying on them for sales, that means additional margin to use their sales reps, which then, by the way, are repping other brands, not just yours. And especially if you're sort of a startup brand or they're already repping 10 other pre-rolls well and you're the 11th pre-roll, how well are they going to wrap your product? So then you say, okay, you know what, I'm just going to use the distributor in order to move product and I'm going to hire my own sales team or a separate sales team that focuses on me. Okay, so that's additional margin. That just got you an order from the shop. Now when you're engaging with the shop, the shop says, okay, I will carry you. But now they say, well, I would like bogus, I would like discounts. Uh, give me something to give my customer uh, so that I incentivize them and my bud tenders to sell your product. So that means you're taking an additional margin hit. And once you've done all that, they may say, by the way, we carry a lot of pre-rolls. So if you'd like visibility, pay us a shelving fee, make some sort of a commitment to us. And once you've done all of that, then you have to invest in sort of education. So that's brand ambassadors, etc. All of that at the brand's expense. Mm -hmm. So I would say those are the challenges of retail. And in, in the delivery services, it's a version of that. Because at the end of the day, the, bigger, the smaller delivery services operate like a retailer. It's the same sort of grind, pitch, get them to commit and you know, hope that there's gonna be some sales and usually it means you have to give margin in order for them to have discounts. And so, so that's sort of on the smaller side. And on the bigger side, typically when you get uh, delivery, uh, a big delivery service to carry you, they're gonna also want you to sponsor promotions, they're gonna sell you on marketing packages to say, hey, we're sitting on a 100,000 person database. We send them a weekly email. Would you like to be included in the email? Yes, I would, great. So you need to sponsor a 30% discount um, out of your pocket in order to do that. And of course, they're not gonna give you the customer data, they're just sort of sending this out to their customers. So those are sort of the challenges, so the pros for retail and big delivery is when it works it works and it generates revenue and and in some regards once you've uh, broken through the barrier and have actually reached volume then they're sort of incentivized to work with you and uh, get your product out there as much as possible you're still not going to get the customer data but at least they're getting your, your product out there the cons are many and I say the biggest con is even if you're successful in retail and delivery, you're always at risk of being deprioritized, deplatformed, they raise your rates by uh, demanding more margin, et cetera. 
And as we know, there's a lot of consolidation and changes in this industry. So if you look at the big MSOs coming in and um, acquisitions and, and mergers, just like what's happening with, Mer uh, with MedMen. So when all of that starts to happen and the purchase decision making it, uh, moves away from the individual store and more sort of in that corporate back end, the decision on what brands are in retail may be made in New York or Chicago. And, and not you know in uh, in the store between your sales rep and the buyer of that particular shop. So how many? It's a finite amount of real estate in a store. How many flower brands are gonna are they gonna carry? 20, 30, whatever the number is. What do you do if you're the 31st flower brand trying to get in that storefront? It's, it's especially very if the first five five are their own internal brands. Correct. Right. You know that's Which is another issue. The, exactly. the issue of the vertically integrated. Um, so with that in mind, is there a certain type of brand that makes the most sense for this? I'm going to ask you who your launch partners are too. Sure. But is there a certain type of brand you find that this is better for? So I'll say it'll work for everyone. The, the way it works though, it's not a silver bullet in a way. Um, we, we look at Ginger as a platform to enable your DTC strategy, but it doesn't happen on its own. The biggest factor then comes down to what visitors do you have coming to your website and what are you doing to drive more traffic? So some brands, the really large brands, are the ones with sort of a cult following, like 710 Labs is a great example. They've already sort of figured out how to get a massive amount of people to come to their website and engage with their brand. So they're already doing their own DTC, but assume that they weren't, that would be a great brand that would just be plug and play, and all of a sudden they're monetizing their traffic. So Ginger can work for every brand, but it has to come with an investment in driving traffic directly to the brand's website. So that's kind of the other side of this, right? Is you have to be able to drive traffic to whatever entity, <clears throat> whatever menu that Ginger has provided, Correct. whatever store, Correct. for lack of a better term. And that's different from the retailer or a direct delivery service. They're kind of doing that top of the funnel for you. How do you suggest your customers do this? You and I have had conversations about the flower agency and yep. what they're doing digital agencies. How do you suggest that you're going to have recommended partners there? Or what are you going to do? So first and foremost, Ginger doesn't have uh, its own sort of marketplace platform. We view that as actually inherently competitive with our own customers. So we right out of the gate decided we were not going to have a gingercommerce.com website, all brands on one place. We in fact pitch against that. We think that's the wrong way to do DTC mm -hmm. because then you end up sort of competing digitally for the same login, for the same customer. Yep. So there is no gingercommerce.com but what we suggest to our, our brand partners is what is unique to your brand you know and, and how do you want to paint the story of your brand and your product and it can be done in things from like for example billboard campaigns it could be call outs within the product itself hey uh, join our rewards program or uh, sign up to learn more about new products and things like that so it can be in the packaging it can be billboards it could be digital ads it could be ads in magazines many different ways where you can start to sort of create campaigns and drive traffic to your website as a brand and once they're there that's really where ginger commerce takes over our technology is meant to be sticky it's meant to be easy to convert a visitor and then once you've got a converted visitor we've built sort of um, a best of breed 
e-commerce uh, uh, retention mechanisms, whether it's a loyalty rewards program, whether it's a, um, what I like to sort of call behavior-based offer engine. Mm -hmm. So that would mean your price can be flexible and customized to the individual. Uh, oftentimes, cannabis is sort of marketed um, as a whole to everyone, but in standard e-commerce, no two customers are alike. They get grouped into cohorts, first-time customer, repeat customer, VIP customer, senior citizen, you know, 22-year-old, male, female. Our technology allows brands or the brand manager or the digital ad advertising agency managing their brand to really start to customize the offers to drive the behavior and engagement that, that you want. And this is what Amazon does. This is what everybody does. We certainly didn't invent something new here. We just brought it to cannabis. Mm -hmm. uh, like you said, I'm glad you touched on Amazon. I mean, in theory, this sounds like the way. Right, you know, this is how we buy everything in the world. Why would cannabis be different? Your eyes. Um, <laughs> we've got a live audience here. Um, so when I look at that, yes, you didn't create anything necessarily new because there's others that have been doing this a little bit, right? Um, most notably comes to mind is Grassdoor. Yep. They've kind of split the baby, as you've said, right? You can order directly from Grassdoor. They're doing a D2C. When you're going up against them, when you're talking to brands, how do you compare? How do you differentiate yourself? So it comes down to what's uh, a few key things. I think that the most important element to brands is that if they are going to shell out cash and invest in paid traffic and invest in billboard campaigns, et cetera, to drive customers to their website, they're very leery to share access to that customer data with any third party that operates a competing business. Mm -hmm. So it's one thing when that traffic is sort of organic. You know, you have a website, your brand, you have a website, you get five or 10,000 visitors a month, but you're not spending any money driving them there. So why not have a store locator or a buy now button that goes to some delivery service that both has uh, their own marketplace as well as, as fulfilling for you? they're sort of okay with that. Not happy with it, but they say, hey, you know what? Um, there's other benefits why I should do this. But when it comes down to actually spending money on a marketing campaign with an agency and you're, you've legitimately bought that traffic, that's when you start to say, well, who has access to that data? Now, granted, some of these other DTC providers will say, no, we don't, we don't touch the data, etc." I would say, you know, that maybe is true, maybe it's not, but one thing that is almost a certainty is that at the very least, they're observing your channels, they're observing where you're advertising and where those leads are coming from. And that is um, uh, providing them additional knowledge and intel on where there are pools and wells of good converting ca cannabis interested customers, mm -hmm. which is a very difficult thing in this industry. I would say it's, it's one of the most elusive things as a matter of fact. Where do you find, it's, it's literally like drilling for oil. Where do you find pockets of gold? And if folks have figured that out, uh, that's very valuable. And, and also those pockets of, of, of oil are, are gonna be very category and price point specific. So it's not like, oh, we found some you know, website or a channel partner where you can advertise cannabis. No, that, that's not where the magic is. The magic is you have a, an eco-friendly vape brand 
that is about you know saving the oceans or what have you and you're targeting both male and female 25 to 35 and you've found like 10 really great channels to advertise for them that is very valuable and of course the list goes on so anyone who has access to that data um, is is inherently has the potential of competing with you and i think brands are sort of uneasy about that um, as they should be i mean it's inherently a conflict of interest right it just is i mean you said that i, I certainly i know <laughs> if i were uh, to operate a brand i would not want my data in anybody's hands mm -hmm. Um, and also, I wouldn't want to work with a partner if I had a choice. And before Ginger, there was no choice because you'd have to work with whoever is out there. We've created a new company that is solely focused on DTC. That is our entire business, our entire business model, our entire strategy is about empowering brands and helping them be successful and growing with them in their digital presence. I don't have another sort of on-demand delivery service or my own marketplace. So if you think about it as, a, as, a, as those types of uh, providers, not only are they sort of learning a lot from their customers in DTC, which is helping their marketplace website, but also organizationally, I don't want to call it a distraction, but you're battling for internal resources. You're prioritizing software development, um, drivers and, and driver schedules, uh, warehousing, etc. It's basically several lines of business that are competing for the same operating budget. So how much investment is going to go into DTC? I don't know, but it's inherently a risk, whereas Ginger, we are solely focused on DTC. It's got to work for us. So regardless of where the front end comes from, the back end has not really changed that much through, through your career, right? I mean, building these driver networks is not a simple thing to do. Um, I spent a couple years with OnFleet, the logistics mm -hmm. platform, and it was one of the hardest things for companies to do is to build a reliable and cost-effective network of drivers. What have you learned through the years and how are you doing that today? Yeah, so I think uh, on a very high level, I've learned that on-demand is extremely difficult, potentially impossible to do profitably. Um, I, I mean, we were seeing in the early days uh, in downtown San Francisco, which is a very, uh, very condensed, dense, yeah. dense area, um, in order to be operationally break, break to, to get to an operational break-even point, you needed to do four deliveries per driver per hour. Yeah. A drop-off every 15 minutes. That's incredibly difficult and there's picking and packing time you know assembling the cart because if it's on demand you know the product is in the trunk and so you got to pull over and spend a minute or two packaging the product so very 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 difficult so one of the things early on that we decided at ginger is that we were going to automatically just launch with a next day delivery up to five days in advance so essentially scheduled delivery with scheduled delivery, you get a lot of operational efficiencies. You get uh, efficient around uh, picking and packing. So in the morning, you're packing a full day's worth of orders. Your routing algorithm can be really effective over time because you essentially can dispatch drivers to really um, uh, far areas and then do a bunch of drop-offs and come back. So it doesn't have to be sort of back and forth, back and forth. Um, and also, interestingly enough, in the last sort of four or five weeks worth of data that we've seen, there's also a different kind of consumer that you're getting with the scheduled delivery that we like. We feel that the on-demand model tends to attract, I call them the, the, the value shopper non-planner. 
<laughs> and what I mean by that is someone who says, hey, I've got X amount of dollars in my pocket. I got 50, 60 bucks, whatever in my pocket. Um, I would like some cannabis delivered to me in an hour and let me log on to the different platforms and see who's got the best deal. Yep. And so that type of consumer is loyal to the platform, not necessarily to the brand. Maybe to the platform even. Maybe, yeah. maybe yeah. even yeah. to the, in fact, because a lot of them uh, switch, that's why I think Weedmaps is really popular um, in the context of finding delivery services because people have been sort of trained to go to Weedmaps to see which delivery service is offering the latest, the greatest deal yep. of becoming a new time customer, Which goes all the way back to medical in California, Correct. right? Yeah. Correct, So in that regard, yeah, if, if I was just this, this value shopper um, that just had X amount of money to spend on a particular day, that's my budget, I would just go to Weedmaps, I would see, okay, some local delivery services offering me some product for 40% off, I'm gonna take that deal. So it, it tends to lend itself to smaller cart sizes. And what's interesting is it's a double whammy for, for on-demand because if you are doing well with your service, if you're able to hit your delivery times, you're also enabling the bad behavior of a consumer of not having to plan. And you're, you're vying, you're competing with other on-demands to provide the most expensive, least profitable service, mm -hmm. right? Because let's take, their, let's take a customer who loves a particular product or a particular brand. And over the course of three months, they're gonna spend $300 or let's say $500 on the platform, right? And then compare an on-demand and a scheduled service. The on-demand, it's gonna be five or six or seven $60 orders. And from the platform's perspective, you had to dispatch a driver, say seven or eight times, to deliver that same $500 worth of value. Whereas with direct-to-consumer, you're shopping for a different uh, consumer. You're potentially attracting the brand loyalist or brand loyalist in training. And because the earliest they're gonna get it is next day, people start to buy in bulk or start to buy more because they're like, hey, I'm getting a good price. I'm buying it directly from the brand. Maybe I'm getting the t-shirt. Maybe I'm getting my loyalty rewards, whatever the incentive is. And you're like, hey, I like this. I don't wanna run out. Let me get a two week supply. And, and from a business unit economic perspective, that's the best place to be. So with DTC, we find that we are delivering larger cart sizes than the average on-demand company, and we're making less frequent visits to the customer to deliver the same dollar value. That's exactly where you want to be. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's fascinating. And certainly scheduled delivery comes with all the benefits. The economics is just <coughs> a matter of whether the customer wants that. And I always find it very interesting that uh, he started with on-demand because from, from a long-term cannabis consumer, that's not how you buy weed normally, right? Like the idea that I'm gonna like run out on a Friday is pretty unlikely, right? right. And so I find that very interesting. It's gonna be, see, be interesting to see how that transitions over. Uh, I'm a big flower company user and so same thing. Um, they tried to do the D2C thing too, as, right. as you know. They went away from that. They seem to focus on the other things, but we'll see. I don't know the economics of it. I don't know if they worked for them either. Um, anyway, so this back end, you talked about the drivers. Tell me a little bit about the platform a little bit more from a technology background. I mean, that, that's what your background is. Yeah. From a technology standpoint, what does this logistics look like? You talked about route optimization and, and sort of like 
maybe interleaving orders, right? Sort of that that back end. Sure. Tell me a little bit about that development. Yeah, so everything is built uh, from the ground up with our tech team. Um, and when we, again, knew that we wouldn't want to have core pieces of our technology reliant on third parties. So for example, Onfleet, um, we, we've experimented with them quite a bit, but at the end we decided to build our own uh, fleet management and, and sort of routing algorithm because we wanted to, it to be integrated into our solution. So if you look at it, there's sort of three levels uh, to our technology. There's uh, what's called headless e-commerce. So this, this front end tier that allows us to very quickly spin up multiple hundreds, thousands, un unlimited amount of front ends. Those could be one page marketing pages. They could be um, platforms where you can browse product, add to cart, check out, so the traditional e-commerce. We can slap our buy now button on any website. We have JavaScripts, we have full-fledged websites. We even have a developer SDK and API uh, so that our the buying, shopping, and uh, checking out experience can be integrated into blogs, into pretty much anything. Mm -hmm. uh, so that front end is very robust and, and is sort of a uniqueness and on our do you end. anticipate your customers will be creating that front end or will there be situations where you're standing up landing pages? So we, we, we know that no two cannabis brands are alike. Mm -hmm. um, and they're different in their maturity uh, level in terms of, you know, are they brand new or have they been around for a while? They're different in their budgets. They're even different in their approach to uh, the retailing of their product. Some are very hands-off, some are very hands-on. Some don't care about their website, some have a full-fledged uh, in-house marketing team that wants to control everything. So that's why we built this toolkit that allows us to serve any size or type of brand. So those who are sort of, they want to be in control, they've already invested in their website, they have a web development team, in-house or outsource, we give them the API and we say, you control the experience, you know your brand best. We, we don't profess to be the greatest marketers of a particular brand because we think it takes knowing that brand and, and sort of being in-house and knowing the DNA of the brand to be really successful. So on that front end, we look at ourselves as enablers and not as drivers. Okay, so we give them all the tools they or an agency they hired would need in order to kind of create a customer experience that fits their wallet and fits uh, the maturity level of the brand. So that's sort of on the front end. Then we created a middle tier uh, technology platform that essentially takes the orders from the front end and runs them through an incredible amount of uh, sort of business logic. Because as we know, let's say in California, you, you have complex rules around uh, cart sizes, taxes, uh, delivery hours by jurisdiction, etc. right? So that's where sort of our, our platform um, uh, is engaged and, and does all that calculation so that whatever is served to the customer is within compliance. And once the order is submitted, all the picking and packing is done through our technology and our drivers actually have a Ginger Commerce mobile app. Mm -hmm. So again, they're not using a third-party tool. Yep. So all of that, essentially from the order all the way down to the delivery is all done through our tech. Got it. And one of the reasons that's possible is because you're actually taking ownership of this inventory as Correct. well, right? So how do you how does it start with a brand? Do they, you make a certain order? You've, how, how does that work? Exactly? Yeah. So this is where we 
potentially also uh, are different than some of the other uh, direct-to-consumer providers out there. We don't look at ourselves as the purchaser of the inventory. We look at ourselves as an extension of the brands as team. Because I don't control lead gen and I don't control how much traffic is coming to the website, I also then don't make um, any sort of uh, a quantity purchase decision on my end. We sort of uh, agree with the brand on, on what the starting amount of inventory should be based on their current traffic or any campaigns they're about to run. We'll take about two weeks worth of inventory and then let the data sort of make sure that we're always ahead of it. So we want to take smaller amounts of inventory more frequently to make sure we have fresh inventory that's not just stale and sitting there and also to empower the brands if their other channels are initially their other channels of course are going to be more profitable you don't want to lock up a, a you know exorbitant amount of, of a, a product that could otherwise have been sold in retail um, and then we just sort of scale from there but it is a sort of a, again less of a lack of a better term consignment and, and not title yeah um, and we just kind of warehouse it under our distro license and when there's a sale it gets moved to the non-storefront retail. And they're paying you on a monthly basis or transactionally or how are you making money? Yeah, so we, at the moment we don't have any startup or platform fees. It's all transaction based. We believe in um, making money together with our customers, mm -hmm. right? So at the end of the day, I think that that's an alignment of incentives. We're here uh, to support your sales and your growth. I'd rather work with less brands but go deeper with the brands that I'm working with than sort of work with every brand out there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that's what our team is already built to do. We have a data analytics team, we have uh, a report writer. We're creating all these platforms and, uh, and sort of uh, views for our customers to show them where opportunity lies. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Um, one of the other components is payments. Mm -hmm. I saw on the website. Tell me a little bit about this. Can, you're going to enable credit cards here, or uh, no, not anytime <laughs> soon. Um, we wishful thinking. We are. Uh, we definitely want to take the most conservative approach. Uh, so right now we're cash only. We're already uh, working with a few of those uh, sort of platform types that are through banking. Um, we're going to integrate with a few. We, I've found personally that there's very low consumer adoption there because you have to, you know, provide sensitive information or your banking login, etc. And, and people sort of get turned off by that. Yeah. We're going to experiment with those things, but um, right now we're, we're sort of cash only. Another advantage is because it's scheduled uh, delivery, then people do have that opportunity to they're load ready. up on cash. Yeah, they're prepared. Um, so where does it stand today? All oh, this sounds like a dream, right? <laughs> like this is what everybody wants. This is what this is why you put it together. Where are you today? What are the launch brands? What's the coverage area like? Yeah, so we're launching with uh, two launch brands, Big Pete's Cookies uh -huh. and Rose Delight. Um, super excited about them. Incredible brands. Um, Rose Delight is fantastic. They're here in in uh, well, part part of their team is here in LA. The other parts in Oakland, um, but super excited about um, launching with brands that I think have a uniqueness that a story needs to be told in order for them to sort of cut through the noise and those are the two brands that we decided to launch with Big Pete's Cookies same thing there's such a story about um, you know the dad and the son that started the company the ethics and moral of, of the brand where they're trying to go and what they're trying to do their Santa Cruz roots all of those things are, are 
what can really um, differentiate themselves, especially in the digital realm. And same with Rose Delights. You know, they're artisanal sort of Turkish delights that are made um, almost on a batch by batch uh, basis with different celebrity chefs. And, and they make them <laughs> once and you may never see it again, right? So that kind of a story is perfect for direct to consumer because that story dies on the vine in retail. You know, by the time a consumer walks in and there's a bud tender who just started or missed the training and you know, like they have no idea. Could, could a bud tender tell the story? Maybe on one brand, but they're not gonna remember the story of 50 brands. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just not gonna happen. So if you take, as a brand, if you take all that capital investment in retail and you put a portion of it online, you can create what I call the gift that keeps on giving. Because what you will get with DTC is not only a sale of your product, is you get a customer that you can engage with. And, you know, if, if the, uh, you know, in, in, in e-commerce there's a few sort of not to get too technical technical vernacular like customer acquisition costs and i guess long time value right or long term value so lifetime uh, value um, basically, if it costs you 50 bucks to advertise and acquire a customer, as long as over some period of time, 6, 12, 18 months, you're going to make more than that 50 bucks, that is a viable investment, mm -hmm. right? So even if you take 50 bucks in advertisement and 10 or 15 or $20 in sort of uh, uh, discounting or promotion, so call it $70, if they're buying probably on the second or third purchase, you've already made your money back. And now that that's sort of a free customer, right? It, even if you got one or two more orders out of them, they've already been profitable. And of course, some segment of those cohorts are gonna be very successful. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that, that at the end of the day, those are sort of the differentiators. But as, as you asked, we are launching both uh, Rose Delight and Big Pete's in about a week. In about a week, well, yep. congratulations, you. you're almost there. Um, and what coverage area will you launch? In? So right now we're in Northern California. Uh -huh. um, we sort of, uh, if you draw about a 200 mile radius uh, from Oakland, um, so that includes Sacramento all the way down to San Jose, etc. Um, and then we're launching our SoCal hub in about two weeks. Mm -hmm. And then that'll give us coverage from Los Angeles all the way down to the Mexican border. Okay. Love it. That, that's awesome. Um, and many more brands in the pipeline? Absolutely. Yeah, big and small. Um, I think that uh, the nice thing is we're starting to get about a bunch of inbound interests as well, which is very humbling. Um, we want to have a healthy mix of startup, midsize, and large brands. I think that um, that's, that's great for all of our customers if we're able to drive a large enough volume while maintaining our ability to really become a, a sort of a launch booster for smaller brands. Mm -hmm. You know, the smaller brands need the most amount of help and initially won't represent um, sort of the, the majority of the orders, but we feel that it's important to support the, the, the new brands and the ones that maybe are struggling in retail and, uh, and the big box delivery, because that's what we're about. We're passionate about California brands. We're passionate about allowing brands to live or die based on the quality of their product and the amount of investment they make in their brand. Mm -hmm. And and the the sort of crappy part about how this industry has shaped up is you can have a great brand and a really good marketing team and still not succeed in this space 
because there's politics, because there's people not allowing you on their platform. There's, you don't have the relationship or the fix is in, or they already allow, you know, my buddy owns another pre-roll brand that competes with yours and I'm gonna tell you your product sucks, even though it doesn't, but it's because I wanna protect my buddy. So all of those things leave a lot, in, in some regard, they hurt consumers at the end of the day because there's probably really great brands that have died or are not gonna succeed because of politics and supply chain and other issues and not because of the quality of their brand. Um, and, uh, and I think with DTC, it's the ultimate equalizer. At the end of the day, if you spend five or $10,000 acquiring a customer at 50 or $100, customer okay I spent 10 grand but now I own a hundred customers and I drove my product to them and now I can scale that I can ask them to re uh, refer friends and slowly you can start to sort of build a digital business um, that keeps rewarding you and, and potentially would help brands either at least stay afloat or be successful and I do see a world where they can be digital only brands that never bother to invest in retail or maybe they'll just be in a handful of large stores but flip the script to where when you're launching a brand launch digitally first it's a much smaller investment you get immediate feedback from your customers you can retool your formulation you can retool your price point you can survey your customers and then over time if you feel like it you can penetrate into retail almost acts like a kickstarter in a way i mean i know you're not crowdfunding but that's how a lot of technology certainly for the smaller brands. test the waters correct you know? for the smaller brands or even the larger brands if they want to try a new SKU or um you know they they want to sort of build their user database and they can sort of have specials and promotions that are exclusive only to DTC. Mm -hmm. So huge amounts of capital have gone into all over the country of securing and opening retail stores. Yeah. Right. And like we were talking about before, people buy almost everything online and increasingly from Amazon. Right. In the future, what's going to be the makeup of retail versus delivery or D to C? I mean, when you think about that, you must think it's going to be a pretty big percentage. Yeah, um, so a few things. First of all, if you look at the landscape today, I, um, uh, there's an in-store purchase, which is someone walking into a dispensary, and there's what I call online, but online for me is you know online with any of the delivery platforms. Also, um, through the iHeartJane integration, anything that is pickup, where you made the purchase decision online, and even if you went to pick up from the store, I still consider that an online purchase mm -hmm. because the person committed online and then didn't, they chose to bypass the retail experience and just do the pickup because they already know what they want, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I haven't seen great data, but I would say retail and online in California is about a 50-50, 60-40, 70-30, somewhere in that range. Mm -hmm. So somewhere between 70 to 50% of the transactions today are done in retail and somewhere between 30 to 50% are done sort of with an online purchase decision. So if you go to those customers and you say, hey, rather than go on Ease or Grassdoor or whoever, or rather than go to a dispensary's website, here's some other website to go to where you'll still be able to buy the product, but you'll get a better deal, you'll get the t-shirt, etc. You're migrating that online consumer to go directly to the brand's website to purchase. Mm -hmm. So now the remainder is what to do with those who walk into brick and mortar. I believe that over time, just like everything else has gone e-commerce, just like retail has really struggled, I believe that over time the successful business model is actually gonna be, I sort of liken it to Best Buy. 
if you look at Best Buy, everyone for a while thought they were going to just bite the bullet and go the way of Circuit City and everyone else. They probably survived for many reasons, but one specific reason that I even like as a consumer is they've created a really great seamless experience between online and in-store. In fact, they've made the store a welcoming experience for that online customer. So then you're going on bestbuy.com, you're buying a TV, and it's whether you get it in the store or you get it delivered, it's just like a radio button, right? And and then the value of the store is just the inventory is closer to the person. Convenience. And please. it's convenience. Yeah. And when you walk into the store as a online purchaser, you're not considered a distraction, which many dispensaries are not built in a way where they welcome yeah. the, the pickup person or the online person. It's online like how purchase. restaurants were for a long time, right? right? They had and to adapt. Correct. Right? Yeah. So I think the future would be, there will still be cannabis retail, but the most successful ones will be ones that have partnered with digital platforms where that consumer can seamlessly travel between buying online and getting it delivered one day or two day shipping, or you know what, I really need it in an hour. And there's some inventory in this dispensary, I'm gonna walk in and grab, grab my product. I believe that the value is not necessarily in how, is it, is it marble countertops, is it nice wood inside, it's gonna be the prevalence of the inventory near the consumer. Mm -hmm. if, if you've figured that out and you have a really great online presence and you're offering delivery or, in, or pickup as a choice, I think that's a successful hybrid model. Mm -hmm. I think that's really well said. Um, I can also see uh, in the future how these brick and mortars act as sort of a place to explore things, maybe see new brands, maybe sort of talk to someone, but you can't even increasingly smell it or taste it Correct. or anything. So yeah, it, I, I honestly, I look at all the money that's gone into all the licenses and I say to myself, I don't get it. Is, I don't get it. Is this a 10 year plan? Do you think you're going to be acquired in that period of time or is it just a race? It's just how big, how big of a top line can we get? And, and, and if you think about it, California today doesn't have enough dispensaries, right? Pre-legalization, I've seen wild numbers like there were 10,000 dispensaries in California, right? And then once they uh, you know, announced the path to legalization, that drove up the cost. So now, arguably, there's not enough dispensaries to even meet current demand, let alone future demand. And, you know, so those who paid millions of dollars to get a license in a city are not going to just, you know, go quietly into the night. So there's even from those who currently operate, they're trying to sort of support. They want licenses, but they also don't want too many licenses. It can't be that easy to get licenses because then it devalues their investment. So you're, you're sort of getting it from both ends. Regulators are very slow to make it easy. And those who've made big investments are not necessarily trying to make it any easy. Once they've gotten through the door, they want it to be hard for everyone else. Mm -hmm. So the only alternative to meet consumer demand is delivery and if you're gonna have a brick and mortar I would just literally make it a pickup only uh, shop and from an area of, of exploration and discovery if you're not actually selling product which today you can't open the product and smell it and everything else 
you could put a, a cannabis discovery shop in a mall or in a strip mall mm -hmm. and have no live product there, but just the packaging, and packaging and educate people. Or by the way, they could put a, a, a delivery order right there and the van could be across the street and just come and drop off the real product, right? So mm -hmm. there's very interesting models to where you could probably meet the true demand. I don't believe that the current retail uh, model is gonna stay the way it is and be successful for much longer. I mean, like you said, it's not all or nothing retail does have its place it's just not gonna be overwhelming I don't I don't think look uh, I, I think I would say the the majority of wine sold in America is sold in supermarkets mm -hmm. not in wine shops mm -hmm. so I believe there is a future where um, you know dispensaries are sort of that artisanal wine and cheese shop. If someone wants that experience, right? They have some time and they want to go in, they want to talk to an educated sommelier about, you know, different wines and I'm going to a very unique place and I'd love to have the perfect wine bottle. Sure, but you know, I mean, in the, in the alcohol industry, that represents a single digit amount of sales in those retail experience. Most people just walk by the supermarket aisle, the wine is there conveniently, and they get it with their, you know, whatever else they're getting. Yeah, I'm gonna butcher this stat, but something like 90% of wine sold in the US is under $13 a bottle. Or Correct. Like that, right? Correct. So we're all gonna be smoking Coors Light before too long, but yeah. that's a whole different MSO conversation. Yeah. Um, you have another company. Let's yes. talk about that a little bit. Click Spray, yeah. which is how we got introduced of uh, Ben of Vertosa, nice enough to put us together. Tell us a little bit about Click. Why, why does the world need a cannabis spray? Well, I think that, um, so th this was something that I started a couple of years ago, and I'd always wanted to sort of be in the, in the branding space, but I didn't want to be in the Me Too space. I felt like the market was saturated with every other category, and, and a lot of these products are sort of commoditized, right? So like, who has the best flower? It's also up to a lot of sort of personal preferences, etc. So I, I felt like I wanted to create a brand and wanted to create a product that was unique in an underserved sort of white space part of the industry, right? Because that was a challenge of mine, and I like challenges. Very, very <laughs> difficult. The, the, the more difficult, the better for me. And so I, I sort of looked at as a whole society, and this is all pre-COVID, but it is sort of turning to be uh, uh, true in a lot of ways. So as a whole society, especially in California, is trying to smoke less. You know, smoking is just considered this unhealthy thing. Mm -hmm. So that sort of took out flour and pre-rolls and everything else. I was like, hey, I, I want to do something that is a new trend that will be bigger in the future. And I feel like the sort of smokeless category of products is where the future is going to lie. Now today, if you don't want to smoke cannabis, you're sort of immediately shoved into the edibles category. But then I started asking myself, well, what's wrong with edibles? You know, and they, they are a big part of the market, but there's everything has pluses and minuses. So with edibles, you end up getting into sugars and you get, you know, gelatin and um, temperature susceptibility with chocolates that melt in your car. So there's problems with products in that category but the biggest complaint is that it's a late onset takes a while and then when it kicks in you're on this wild ride that lasts hours and hours long and you onset, don't know the intensity long offset correct yeah. Yeah. and and unpredictability right super tough to dose and because it goes to your digestive tract and based on your hydration levels and everything else the same product could give you a different experience over different times so i said you know what if i made a smokeless product that was as fast acting as flour and vape. 
but was as discreet as an edible, which is what people like about edibles, but it, but it was fast acting, that would be an interesting segment. So I, I went and talked to scientists, eventually got introduced to Austin and, and Ben at Vertosa. They showed me incredible technology that they'd been working on uh, with their nano emulsion. And what's nice about nano emulsion is you, you do get that sort of fast onset um, and it's got a viscosity of water. So some of the sprays that were out in the market before us are, are distillate based. Mm -hmm. So if you spray them, it's like spraying this very kind of uh, oily sub. You're spraying your mouth with oil. Yeah. And it's not a, the most pleasing mouth feel in the world. So um, it's like an MCL or, you know, yeah, or, or, or tincture actually, yeah. right? Yeah. So if you sort of drop uh, tincture drops in, into your mouth, yeah. it's, uh, it's just not a great, it's sort of just something you've got to do to get the effect, but Medicine, you put up with it. Point, yeah, you're yeah. putting up with it. Yeah. So we essentially created the Click Spray, which is a fast acting, um, uh, discreet, uh, pocket on the go product. You can take it with you anywhere. It's, just, it's a little bit taller than a tube of chapstick. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's got 200 milligrams, 80 doses. Every spray is exactly 2.5 milligrams of cannabinoids. And um, we're actually about to roll out our collaboration edition and uh, we, we've done a collab with a major athlete, a major celebrity, um, and, and that's going to come out in about uh, four weeks or so. Nice. Super excited that's about exciting. that. That's yeah. exciting. And you can get it delivered D2C. You can get, of course, you can get it delivered D2C. And, um, you know, we, I, I'm, I'm sort of migrating myself away from the day-to-day -day management of that brand. Yeah. And I'm focused 100% uh, on Ginger. I was going to uh, ask you, like, that, that's a lot of work. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's yeah. a lot of growth. Th th thankfully, um, my, my partners are as capable as I am. And we really operate as a group. Uh, my my co-founders are Omri Caspi, who's a, a former NBA player, and Alexi Klempner, who's been my business partner for many years. Uh, we're involved in both of these businesses. So, you know, at the end of the day, the board can set a vision and other folks can execute. Um, my time is going to be spent uh, with Ginger Commerce. Yeah, nice. Well, I think it's an important bet. Um, I want to ask a little bit about your background mm -hmm. because it's, it's super interesting as a founder or like sort of a case study, right? You've sort of attacked this industry from a bunch of different ways, right? I mean, everybody knows what ease is. Um, what did you learn from sort of that and then Wave, which is the distribution model, right? B2B distribution. Uh, what have you learned through this process to get to today? Oh, well, on a high level, startups are difficult. Are startups in cannabis are a hundred times more <laughs> difficult. There's, uh, you know, I mean, of course, if someone's from the industry, they understand exactly what I'm saying, but <clears throat> raising capital is that much more difficult. Staying within compliance is that much more difficult. Uh, things that make sense from a business perspective can't work because of regulations. So. It's, it, you know, how they say, like, you got to succeed with one hand tied behind your back. To succeed as a cannabis startup, it's two hands and maybe one leg tied up. <laughs> you know, maybe uh, your mouth or your tongue is still working. Um, it's very, very difficult. So on a very high level, that is definitely what I've learned. But at the same time, I still think there's incredible opportunities for innovation. The industry as a whole is growing. Being successful at it um, is something that, I think we're all chasing and, and it's, it's still, I, I believe that the greatest, um, the most successful companies in 
California cannabis haven't even launched yet. Mm -hmm. And that's what's exciting to me. Yeah. So I've what I've learned is everything that everyone's already done has just set the stage to what's coming next. Mm -hmm. um, so just a few days ago, Ease bought Green Dragon. I'm sure you can't help but see the news. Yeah. Um, any thoughts there? What do you think when you see your old company sort of growing and doing things? I'm obviously super excited. I yeah. think um, I think that Ease has done incredible things since you know we we launched in 2014. Um, I started working on the technology in 2013, um, and and at the end of the day, I, I wish the company much success. I also think that what we do is very complementary to Ease. Ease is trying to crush the on-demand customer. Um, by providing really great selection, hopefully in a profitable way at some point in time. Uh, and I think that integrating with retail is, is a very interesting um, model to where they can put inventory closer to where consumers are, leverage that infrastructure, have uh, leverage relationships with brands, etc. So it all makes perfect sense and I'm extremely uh, extremely happy to see positive news come out of Ease. You know, for a very long time, people weren't sure what was going to happen with this company. Yeah. You know, but just because it, it, it grew really fast, it spent a ton of money. And um, as you know, in cannabis, the, the fundraising cycles and the prevalence of capital is very cyclical. Mm -hmm. And um, if you're a company that sort of is about to run out of your last round's money and you're, start, you're entering a new round of funding in the time where it's this kind of downturn, it's very difficult very to tricky. raise capital. But they've been able to pull it off. Kudos for them. And I think now they've unleashed the beast. Yeah. Um, how about fundraising for you this time around? You've been through it a few times. <laughs> how is it with Ginger? So, I mean, it's, it's good and it's challenging. It's good because a lot of investors believe that there's room for DTC. But uh, the challenges are that DTC is a very disruptive model just like how Ease was when we launched it, right? It was disruptive. And by the way, when we launched Ease, everyone was like, the naysayers were like, oh no, who needs this? People need to go into the dispensary and talk to the bud tender. This is before recreational where weed was sold in jars yeah. and, and with scoopers, right? Yeah. And just yeah. weighed right in front of you. So then you could smell the, big the product. big magnifying glass. Yes, yeah. you yeah. could smell the product and look at the nugs mm -hmm. and everything else. Um, and so people were like, no one would want a delivery service. They need to come in, they need to see what's good on tap today, <laughs> you know, and then just buy it. But we understood the disruptive nature of what he solved, the convenience, uh, the discretion, many of the things, you know, that even Click is, is offering and certainly Ginger. Um, we, were, we were eventually able to prove out that that disruption is going to happen. It's a real thing that consumers want. I'm faced with those same challenges today with Ginger. People who are sort of the old guard are saying, no, it's retail and, and it's these big delivery services and let's let them add DTC as another mm. service, mm. but not sort of a disruptive company that literally is marketing itself as, no, we are going to take people away from a certain purchase behavior and move them into this. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know that's been a challenge, but thankfully we've been able to convince a handful of visionary VCs and investors that understand that this is not a question of can we convince the American or the Californian consumer to do this. The question is can we convince them to do this with cannabis where they've done it with every other 
um, uh, product and category. And I think that that's, that, that's getting eventually people to, to sort of buy in. I think my biggest takeaway from that story is just perseverance. Right, like it's not easy to be a founder, but cannabis alone in any industry, and For like sure. you didn't fucking give up, you know. Like I'm, you've had some success, obviously, but this is now your third, fourth, fifth venture into it. Like, is that the advice there for other people listening? Like, just yeah. don't stop. Yeah, don't stop. Believe, believe in yourself. Is you, if you don't believe in yourself, no one else will. Um, I, I think you have to have your your north star. You have to have your your morals, your mission who you are and what you're trying to accomplish. And don't try to convince those who think otherwise. Spend your time trying to find those who are aligned with you. Mm. I think oftentimes, once you hear the fifth or 10th or 20th no, you start to doubt yourself and you start to say, that guy was not a no, he was a maybe, but he sort of said, hey, if you do this and that, then I might be interested. And it could be very tempting, to try to sort of say, well, I could change um, and, and sort of to appease this person. Oftentimes that's not, that, that doesn't lead to success. Yeah. So I, I would say definitely persevere, believe in yourself. Even if you second guess yourself, that's fine, but have that be sort of internal conflict, an internal discussion, you and your team, and not sort of come from an external place because people bring their biases every day. I speak to so many investors um, or potential investors and half the time when I'm talking to them especially those that tell me no or tell me I'm, uh, I'm dreaming and this will never succeed I challenge their uh, perception you know is it because they've made an investment in a, in a competing platform or competing category or they're really big in retail and why would they want to support the success of, of DTC um, so there's there's many motives um, now, granted, some VCs don't care, right? They'll invest in competing businesses. And those are, tend to be more the visionaries that want to create this sort of rising tide floats all boat, but not everyone. Some are just literally throwing you off the scent and you've, you have to persevere through that as well. Very well said again. Um, I know you got to get out of here in a couple minutes. Just a couple questions about you, sort of the person behind the business. What's your personal relationship with cannabis like today? Has it evolved or? Tell me about that. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I was born in Israel. I grew up in Africa, um, of all places. I was sort of raised as, you know, cannabis is a drug. And uh, so I'd never, never touched it, never had any curiosity about cannabis mm -hmm. or any other drugs for that matter. Um, you know, no judgment on anyone. It's just a personal choice. Um, but uh, once, once we started Ease, I started discovering more and more about cannabis and I was like, wow, this thing is the farthest thing from a drug, the classic definition of a drug. And in fact, I would say that the crime is that cannabis has been illegal. That's the crime. In yeah. fact, I would call that a crime against humanity mm. because look at all the suffering and, and, and addiction that has been created that could have probably been solved or, or at least alleviated or helped with, with cannabis. So obviously a massive advocate. I say a big thanks to all the renegades and all the people that throughout decades uh, pushed to get us to where we are today. I'm very respectful and thankful for that journey. And I actually think in some small way, part of Ginger Commerce's mission is to help the small canapreneur, the small company, the startup person. It, it's sort of like if you, if you build a knickknack and you're trying to get into Target, you know, with your little widget. 
it's just very hard, mm -hmm. right? That's not a cannabis problem. It's just yeah. distribution is, is a very tough cutthroat business. And that's why everyone else now, the content creators, the sort of person that has created, uh, you know, a fashion line at home, they're becoming, you know, e-tailers. And, and I believe that what Ginger Commerce is doing is allowing the, the artisanal brands, those with a voice, those on a mission with a purpose to level the playing field and have a fighting chance in what is quickly becoming um, an industry in control by big business. So you're just walking around click spraying yourself all day? Is that... um, I love our sleep product. Okay. So we have four SKUs. Um, the one that I personally love is the Dream, which is the nighttime. It's got melatonin in it. We put in some uh, flower-based terpenes, non-cannabis derived terpenes that are proven to help with sleep. And of course there's THC and CBD in there. Um, so that's my favorite. I always CBN have it. CBN or no? Uh, no yeah. CBN. Yeah. It's, uh, we've chosen to sort of um, complete the sleep effect by other means, not by cannabinoids. So mm -hmm. certainly the CBD helps. Yep. Uh, a little bit of THC and um, primarily it's melatonin and, and uh, flower-based uh, terpenes. Uh, and it's, for me, it's so great to travel with. You know, I have it in my travel bag all the time. I find it really hard to sleep on, on airplanes or in hotels, and that's really my go-to. Awesome. Um, last question, you're so informed about the industry. What do you read? How do you learn? How do you stay up on stuff? There's so much news in this industry now. I think, uh, by constantly being in startup mode. You're, you're forced to see what's going on and what everybody's doing. I have yet to sort of run a very large cannabis operation, sort of, you know, work in the top five brand or things like that. I've always just liked the first couple of years of a company and in those years, you have to know everything about your industry because you're trying to chart a path. You need to know trends with distribution, marketing, sales, every little thing in the, the sort of investor community. So that's my sweet spot. Yeah. Um, and uh, obviously it's, it's mostly by conversation, um, conversing with investors, conversing with potential customers, mm -hmm. seeing who my competition is. Uh, that gives me you know, all, all the sort of research material I need. Good stuff. Well, this has been awesome, man. Thank you so much for being open and honest and uh, going through your background. I know some touchy stuff in, in that history a little bit. How can we help you? Are you hiring for something directly? How can the audience help you? Well, first and foremost, I would love to talk to any cannabis brand who sees this as an opportunity to sort of create a new channel for themselves where they might have a little bit more control. Um, so any, anybody who is interested, reach out to us, gingercommerce.com. There's sort of a contact us form there. Um, so would love that introduction. But also, honestly, I, I'm an open door. Um, what helps me is even just talking to folks from the industry it helps me and I'm happy to I'm happy to help others. So anyone who wants to chat with me, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram. I'm, I'm pretty approachable and, and visible. Um, and I'd love I just love to speak with folks from the industry. So anyone who wants to have a conversation around cannabis, it would be mutually beneficial and I'm open to it. Awesome, man. Well, congrats on the launch again, and I'm excited to pay attention to awesome. see what's going on.